And before we get into the Q&A, we have loads of questions. I mean, too many questions, and I don't think we'll be able to finish even half of them today. But they are very serious questions, and we're excited. We have questions from everywhere, this time from Israel, too. A lot of questions from Israel, from U.S., from the Middle East. We just thank God for all these dear ones who are getting saved. In the middle of it all, God's kingdom is still moving. And that's the exciting part. People are getting saved. People are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. God is good all the time. So before we start, we just look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you. We praise you, Father. We just praise you, praise you, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We know, Father, when one person gets saved, when a sinner repents, when he gets saved, there is so much rejoicing in heaven, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for all these dear ones around the world who are being added into the kingdom yes. of God. Yes. And those who are added are being filled with your Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Oh, Father, nothing has changed. The kingdom of God is working consistently just as it was in the beginning, Lord. We commit all these dear ones into their hands. This morning, this evening, we have so many questions from little ones, from ex-Jews, ex-Muslims, ex-Catholics. But you have the answer, Lord. And I pray you give us the wisdom, the discernment to answer it. And that is true to your word and true to your spirit. So we commit ourselves and this time and all the hearers into thy hands, Lord. Speak through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, Pastor, we'll start with a question from the youngest one. The little one, Arifa. Arifa. Okay. Uh, this is question number six. Um, this is Arifa. Can you tell us about fasting, please? Muslims fast, but I started fasting once a day. I fast my dinner. I also fast from TV. My dad says it is an addiction. There is something in the Bible about fasting, but can you explain it to me in a simple way? Thank you. God bless you and your wife. Also, uh, her father also asked this question. Dear Pastor James, my daughter asked you about fasting. I have a question also about it. Can you explain Isaiah 58 to us as well? Okay. First, uh, to Arifa. Very <laughs> sweetie. Okay. And I like all the pictures you send in the mail too. So fasting is a very, very big subject. Okay? We will not be able to deal with it in its, it's, it's an entirely serious, uh, what you call it, uh, subject altogether. And first let me tell you about fasting that everybody fasts. Hmm. Every religious group, they fast. The atheist also fast, but they call it as dieting. <laughs> but everybody fasts. There's nobody who does not fast. So fasting is common. But what is fasting? What does the Bible say about fasting? I'll give you some scriptures first. James chapter 4 and verse 10. <clears throat> James 4 verse 10. James 4 verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This is one of the fundamental principles if you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's something God demands from his people. He says, humble yourself in the sight of God. And we we'll keep asking, why does God ask us to keep humbling, humbling? The simple is because he himself is humble. Yeah. 
okay we saw in the morning okay. jesus is low okay. and meek okay he's he's meek god is meek god is humble the devil is proud so the bible says god resists the proud and gives grace to be humble and how do i humble myself there are so many ways one of the ways if we go to psalm 35 and verse 13 and psalm 69 and verse 10 Psalm thirty-five and verse thirteen. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I humbled myself with fasting. Fasting is one of the ways in the Bible which God has given to us, His children, how to humble ourselves. If we turn to sixty-nine, verse ten. <coughs> when i wept and chastened my soul with fasting there the word is used is called chastening your soul mm. so if you look over there it is not talking about the body it is talking about the soul how do i humble my soul one of the ways i humble my soul a believer humbles his soul is by fasting he fasts he humbles his soul okay i mean we can we can't get into <coughs> all the details but you will see fasting was there throughout the bible god's people fasted at different situations in their life in second chronicles 7:14 one of the most well known about when things go out of hand pandemics war famines all these things happen and israel was called to come back to god if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray we'll always see fasting and prayer goes together okay it's, it's usually not disconnected it goes together if my people humble themselves and how do they humble themselves one of the very clear instruction in the bible is by fasting and you will see sackcloth is also you will see sackcloth why do they wear sackcloth because it is a physical sign of affliction of the body it's not very comfortable okay, wearing sackcloth <laughs> if you look at ezra chapter 8 and verse 21 i'm just giving you few scriptures Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Remember, they are going back to Israel, and the king has given permission, and he wants to give them security and all that. But Israel is not comfortable with the whole idea. Okay, so he proclaims a fast. How do we go from here back? Okay, to so we humble ourselves, we fast, we pray, we seek the will of God. Okay, it's a humbling process, no? And when we humble ourselves that way before God, God says He will lift you up. He will give a direction. He will speak to us. Okay, again, if you go to First Kings chapter twenty-one. Okay, that's when Naboth's vineyard. Remember, Naboth had been uh, killed by King Ahab, and judgment is set sent to him through the mouth of Elijah. when he hears the judgment he repents okay words 27 to 29 king ahab repents it was when ahab heard those words he tore his clothes put sackcloth on his body fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning wow. and the word of the lord came to elijah the tishbite saying see how ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself before me I will not bring the calamity in his days in the days of his son I will bring the calamity on his house so it doesn't matter if the person is so wicked and he has done a wicked deed but when he humbles himself through fasting and in prayer and in mourning you know what happens God changes his mind hmm. 
You know, the humble always have a way to move God's heart. You need to realize, like I said in the morning, many of our issues are not from the devil, it's from God. <laughs> he opposes the proud. Mm-hmm. Like he opposes the proud. He hates the haughty. And he looks for people who are genuinely humble. And one of the ways we humble ourselves before God is through fasting. If you turn to Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 3, mm-hmm. verses 4 to 8, and then verse 10. So Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He just gives them a judgment. Forty days, and Nineveh is gone. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Mm. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout in a way by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You know what? God heard. Verse 10. Verse 10. You can go to verse 10. Then God saw their works. First he looked at their deeds, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So this is a Gentile city. But they cried out to the living God because the prophet was sent from Israel and he spoke to them. And you know when Gentiles sometimes, they are much more zealous in their obedience. Mm. This is the only time in the Bible we see all the animals forced to a fast with sackcloth. All the animals in in a way, I don't know. All of them wearing sackcloth and fasting. Because Gentiles don't understand the full picture. But they will go all the way. Amen. All the way. And you will see God deals with them and it turns a disaster. So we need to realize, you know, about fasting. And the problem about fasting is that in the religious circle, fasting brings pride. Mm. Okay. In religion, fasting becomes, brings in pride because, you know, fasting as part of become of your curriculum. <laughs> so, okay, I fast, I fast regularly. You know, in religion, all they will, they do see this, it's a big, becomes a big thing. So, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16? Three things he talks about. One is prayer, the other is fasting, and the third is giving. Mm. These three things. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, <laughs> for they discover their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Mm. Verse 17, yeah. No? So, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Okay? Basically, he says, that so you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. openly. Okay. So there are permits. So when we fast, we fast as a church. That is okay. Mm-hmm. But we are not proclaiming to the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a corporate fasting, but there is individual fasting. Mm-hmm. In individual fasting, God says, you know what? Don't make it a mark of being very religious and holy. Mm-hmm. It is not. Then what happens? Fasting can become a, a, a sign of pride can become yes. a sign of a fasting can cause pride. So what it was meant to humble your soul actually works the other way. And you will see all the religious people in all religions, including Christianity as a religion, are very proud of their fasting. Very proud of their fasting. It works the opposite way. But God says, no, this is an humbling of your soul. So he says, when you're fasting, personal fasting, 
do it secretly. Do it before God. Because it's very difficult to, if it is not part of your religion, it is very difficult to fast in secret. Because you fast because you want people to know. You want to know. You know so you need to understand how God looks at it. It is, it is also you will realize when uh, people, like in Chronicles 7.14, when people are fasting, uh, they are mourning and grieving, like you saw in Jonah. They were mourning and grieving because judgment is coming. Okay, you are mourning and grieving. It is an, at that kind of a fast, when you are mourning and grieving over something like David fasting and on his face before the Lord when his son was ill, because he knew he's, res- he's directly responsible for his son's illness and ultimately his death. He's on his face. So when you are mourning and gi- grieving, the attitude of the soul, the real attitude of the soul is that it's not that I will not eat. It is that I cannot eat. Mm. Yes. The difference between these two. It's yes. not that I will not eat. It is that I cannot okay. eat. Mm. I'm yes. grieving. You know, when you are grieving, you are sorrowful, you lose your appetite. Okay. Then it's genuinely not even coming from your head. It's coming from your soul. And God looks at it and he responds to that. He responds to that. So, Fasting is a true act of humility. If it is not a true act of humility, God does not, God does not respond. Mm. He does not respond. Okay? Fasting has to be an outward response to an inward condition. And the inward condition is Psalm 51 verse 17. In Joel 2.12. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You see, people fast for breakthroughs and all kind of stuff. They do. I'm not saying per se there's anything wrong in that. But the genuine, genuine fasting is a brokenness before God of your state, Mm. of your state, what we have done unto him. Okay, not for what he needs to do for us. Okay, it's okay. It's only, you will see um, in James chapter 4, I think it's verse 10, we looked at it. After after that, you will see, draw near to God and he will draw. One of the ways we draw near to God is through fasting. You know? Yeah. That is verse 8 and uh, yeah. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. As soon as we draw near to God, the Bible will say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The question is that, uh, how does this happen? How does this happen? If you go to verse 10, how does it happen? The fact is that it's simply like Peter. (laughs) He's got the biggest catch on his life. He turns around, he has a revelation of who Christ is and who he is. See, we don't mourn and lament and grieve and all. It's because we are not drawing closer to God. If we were to see the holiness of God and to see our our real state and how much God loves us and the price God has to pay to draw us near, we will cry out. Mm. It's a question from Israel about Jesus. We will look at that question. No, That everything God did through Jesus Christ is to draw us near to him. And what keeps us away from us? It's our sin our attitude, our pride, all those things. So when we are trying to draw near to God, you know, if we, if we, if God actually allows us to draw near to God, it will break us. It will break us. 
we will see what we have done to God and how much how much God loves us how much God loves us that ultimately every sin is not a breaking of the law mm. it's sinning against the love of God it's sinning against the love of God it will break us and that's what he says your laughter be turned to mourning your joy to gloom usually we are more worried about the things that are happening to us we are not looking at what we do to god who loves us so much and who gave his only son for us so and when you come to isaiah 58 isaiah 58 is one of those fundamental chapters in the old testament which talks about israel where fasting has become a religious exercise and if you go to isaiah 58 no the brother from the middle east asks okay Isaiah 58, we'll read from verse 1 onwards. <clears throat> I'll read the NIV. Shout it aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yeah. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of, yeah, wait, uh, Peter, you jumped. they ask of me the ordinance of justice they take the he says it's all outward okay they pretend as if they are so tickle pink about coming to me and verse 3 why have we fasted they say and you have not seen why have we afflicted our souls against see and you take no notice in fact in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers hmm. he's saying you know what if you look he says if you look if you go at three onwards god tells us what is true fast He says the outward and the inward doesn't match. Okay, you're fasting. Okay, you fast, you go pray, and then you come out and you are exploiting your laborers. Those who are weak, you are very, very harsh. And this is true in every religion, every religion. God says, I don't accept that kind of fast at all. Fasting is not an exercise. There's no humility in your soul. What do you do? You find pleasure. Okay, you go fast and you sit before the TV the whole day. I'm fasting, and what are you doing? I mean, whatever. you're finding pleasure exploit all your laborers the cry of the poor are crying up to heaven and you are fasting and exploiting them and verse 4 indeed you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness he says you know turn away from your wicked ways that is not happening that is happening you know if you look I mean, i'm not indicting anybody but in christianity like if you have in other religions in christianity they have 40 days of lent and the day before lent is what is it's mardi gras it is the till your nose have pleasure and then the next day they begin fast and when 40 days are over they try to go right back so god says what junk is this who are you fooling who are you fooling god is saying who are you fooling you're not fooling anybody the same could be said about any religion right if you you are a muslim the 30 days of ramzan right i mean there are some places some muslims are so strict they don't even swallow their saliva during their entire part from morning sunrise to sunset i don't know how they do that they don't even swallow their saliva they so rigorous in it but god says has your ways changed <laughs> if you are a man who is fasting like are you kind to your wife You can't you children you can't you workers have you turned away from evil and wicked ways so you know what is happening fasting has lost its which has no relevance before god in religion mm-hmm. it doesn't look at that so if if you look at jona the entire nation where we looked in verse 10 310 says 
when, if you look at Jonah 3.10, they fasted, they this thing. What is the first thing that is mentioned in 3.10, if I remember it? God saw their works. He saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. Mm. Then he relented. Mm. It's not their fasting. Mm-hmm. The fasting led to action. Humbling of his soul, the outward action came in. They turned away from their wicked ways. They turned away from their evil ways. And you know what God says? Now I will answer you. So if true fasting does not bring about a change in our behavior, mm. and we go through God's spirit will convict us, this is not right, this action is not right, this is not right, this your words are not right, your attitude stings. He shows all that and we repent and we turn away from it. Then God says your fasting is acceptable. Mm. Otherwise it is not. Okay. And then, <coughs> verse 5 onwards, yeah. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? God is being sarcastic over there. Verse 6. Yeah. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? That you break every yoke? He says, yeah, yeah, stay on 6. That's important. Okay, so he says. So basically, God is saying, "What is the kind of fast that I choose? Once to loose the bonds of wickedness. Mm. Okay, if you are bound by wickedness and you are not bothered by that, you are fasting as a religious exercise. But you are not worried about your wickedness or your wicked habits." He says, "What are you fasting for?" Mm. What are you fasting for? I mean, think about it. Like, it could be any one of us. Let's say I'm working in an office. I want a promotion. But I smoke, I drink, I lie, I cheat, I steal everything. But I'm fasting for a breakthrough. Because what nonsense is this? You think I can give you a promotion? Hmm. Who do you think I am? I'm like one of the Gentile gods who can be appeased, bribed. That's what the Bible says. I don't accept words, but it says, the God of Israel cannot be bribed. bribed yes. <laughs> the gods of this world can be bribed. They bribe them with fasting. They bribe them with offerings. They bribe, but God he will not take anything. He will not accept our offering. He will not accept the pastor way. Because pastor doesn't know. But God will not accept our offering. He will not accept our prayer. He will not accept our, our, our fasting. All our religious, which is common in any religion. There is offering. There is fasting. There is prayer. God will not accept Anything, if you do not turn, if the intention is not, Lord, show me, speak to me, search my heart, tell me what displeases you, and give me the strength to turn away from it. And if we do that, then our fasting is accepted, to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens. Okay, it could be, it could be somebody else's, because you may have people beneath you working. Okay, to let the oppressed go free. You mean, you may be the oppressor and you see it and you just, you know what? Somebody's oppression helps you, brings profit to you. You know, like somebody who works in your house or your office or company should be working eight hours. But you, it's only on paper. You make them work 12 hours and 14 hours, but then pay the minimum salary and you make, but you are religious, very religious. You fast regularly. You know, remember the Pharisee, I fast, and God looked at him with contempt. He looked at him with contempt. He says, the oppressed, and you need to realize, much of the world is oppressed. People who work for others. But those who are the landlords or the ones who are above them, they're very religious. They're very religious. And they look at the religion as a reason for their 
prosperity. But they are not being answered by God, the living God. And one day God will, God will judge them. And I'll give you a portion where God says in the book of James. Okay. Uh, chapter 4, uh, chapter 5. Oh, these things have all gone. Uh, verse 1 onwards. Yeah. Verse 1 onwards. Come now you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. If you are rich, like Abraham, and it is not through unjust means, you don't have to worry. But if you are, and most riches of most people are unjust, your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten. It's talking about your righteous, you think you are righteous. It's a full of holes. <laughs> Verse 3, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Verse 4. Indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed, mowed your fields. Which you kept back by fraud cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbaths. Who is that? God of war. Jehovah Shabbat. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Now it's talking about every age. It is. It is the truth. Like we talk about, you know, if you look at, if you look at the what they call the sweatshops of China, and who's making all the money? The Chinese and the big capitalists of the West. If you look at how those poor people work and the profits the big guys make, okay, you think they're all going to get away from it? They're going to get away from it. Okay, Apple is selling everything over here. But you know what Apple is doing in China? Because that's one of their largest markets. Apple is working with the Communist Party, allowing them to survive their own population. For which Apple would be shut down in America, but Apple would allow it in China. Why? It's just about money. So Apple indirectly or directly is responsible for the incarceration and the death of so many Chinese. You think these guys, when they stand before God, you know, the judgment that is set for them? Okay. So what are you talking about? The garment industry, the fashion industry. Why is China prospering? Because all the industries have been established by Western nations in China. And what is it? Slave labor. Slave labor. Okay. Or um, all these people in Africa and all these nations. Chinese investments, making highways and factories, and they're buying up the whole world. And how do they build it? They bring their gangs over there, Chinese, all done by Chinese companies, and they bring in the prisoners. Okay. Tens and thousands of them brought in over there, put in camps, they work. So entire labor is free. They're not getting their salaries. The other side of the story, you don't, you think Western nations don't know about it? No, but they all close their eyes because China ka paisa kaya hai. Everybody has eaten money from China. You need to understand that. And you know what is happening? This is a large scale hoax that is being perpetrated on the world. Chinese have money because everybody invested in China and they are rolling with money. And you know what they do that money? They use that money to buy up people. And that is why there was, honestly, I'm not bringing up again, we're just talking about, there was only one man who understood it. It was Trump. And he said it very, very clearly. China is the world's number one enemy. You'd have to bring, you have to bring sanctions upon them. That's why they took him down. They took him down. But we are looking in the context of scripture, you will realize, at a very personal level, at a personal level, let us, let us put me as an example. Let us say, 
I may be fasting very religiously, but I have a worker in my house. Can be a maidservant or a driver or somebody. And I oppress them. I oppress them. Genuine oppression. Don't really take care of them. You need to come at six and you can only leave at seven in the evening. And you will only get this much. And you make them work and work. And you don't really give them wages. You are not bothered, worried about them being ill or their child being ill. And you oppress them. But you fast regularly and you pray. God says, you could, you must be joking if you think you can move my heart. You must be joking if you think you can move my heart. And this is where the blocks come in. Because fasting has no meaning at all if we do not break the wickedness in our hearts. And our heart is not for those who are oppressed. Mm. Oppressed. And it could be anybody. It could be anybody, everybody. And then go back to Isaiah 58. Because it's a pivotal chapter. The child wrote about fa- fasting. Her father asked about Isaiah 58. It says, dad, daughter combo. Yeah? Verse 6. Yeah, verse 6 and 7. Yeah. Is this not fast that I have chosen to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free? And you break every yoke, like every yoke of people. You know, you use that, you know. <coughs> Is it not to share? So, I mean, at, at, at the church level, what do we do? When we see, like when, um, when, when um, Israel went through oppression, when Israel were facing enemies, Jehoshaphat and all, they proclaim a fast. The yoke of the Babylonians are coming, or the Midianites are coming, the Amalekites are coming, oh Lord, deliver us. And God hears their cry. God hears their cry. You know? So we fast. We see the oppression of God's people. We see the persecution that is taking place. And to break that yoke. Now we are not doing it for ourselves. We do it for the body of Christ and the people who are oppressed. And God says, you know what? When I see your heart and I see your motive, because the fasting in all religions are personally for personal profit. But the Bible, fasting is talking about for Others, you mm. fast for others. For yourself, to turn from your wicked ways. For others, they be freed from oppression. And God says, I see that. I see that. I have to see, I see your heart. But your heart is true. You're really fasting. And I will break that bond. I will break that yoke over your life. You, I will deliver you out of this. Because you realize, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Deliver me, Lord. I understand your heart. You're really seriously interested. I will deliver you, set you free. One way or other, he will do it. On the other side, Lord, I see the oppression of others. Lord, I see it. You know what? I don't have the power. I don't have power or authority in this world to change the situation. But I know I have access to the throne of grace. I know you have all power and authority. So you know, Lord, I'm going to fast before you so that you move situation so the oppressed are set free. And God says, I see that. I see that. And if you come to verse 7, this is simple practical. He comes to the next one. Uh, not 7. We, you should shift it. Yeah, verse 7. Yeah. Is this not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. What is he talking about? He says, also be practical about this. And I told I shared this. When I had just become a believer, I had a friend in my class, uh, my undergraduation, first year. His name was Vergis. And he was a believer. So my parents were 3,000 miles away. So I was in the hostel. So almost every weekend, I was at his house. And they had four brothers. He was the eldest. He had four brothers. Uh, Vergis, uh, Abraham, John, and Thomas. Okay, So I used to be there. 
And they were nice family. And the mother was a praying lady. The first time I saw a praying woman was his mother, Rebecca. So what used to happen is during, and they kept Lent, they used to fast and all. And Johan was studying in school. Okay, he was in class six or seven or something maybe. So he used to fast regularly. Then if you know in Kerala what we do is that uh, we have natural tiffin, which is the plantain leaf. You cut the plantain leaf, you heat it over the fire. It can be folded nicely without breaking and it won't leak also. So when we used to take our lunch, we used to take it in the plantain leaf. Because why? You don't have to waste time washing your tiffin because you can get 10 minutes extra on the playground. So we'll always go take it, finish it and throw it away and run to play. So I saw him packing his food during lunchtime. So I asked Yuhan, where are you taking it? And he said, at uh, the street corner there is a beggar. I'm fasting. I'm taking my lunch for him. And I said, where did you get this from? That is the first time in 1984, I saw ICS 58 and verse 7. He said, it is written. It is mm. written. And I was shocked. I mean, he's a young He's a young kid studying in class grade 6 or something. And he knows ICF 58. And he's in Australia now. Okay, by the way, he's in Australia now. And he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Very practical. God says, you know, you're fasting. Okay, You could be fasting from anything. Okay, he says, why don't you share it with somebody else? You don't need it. Okay, okay. But every day you cook that much, right? So don't cook less. Mm. Cook the same amount and see if you can feed somebody else. Feed somebody else. And bring to your house the poor who are cast out. No, people who do not have. Feed somebody. Feed somebody. Okay? Now please remember, this is not religion. Yes. This is not religion. See, in religion the problem is you have it in Islam, you have it in Hinduism. It is for your sake. It's not for their sake. You're getting brownie points from good. (laughs) Okay? Because religion prescribes, you know, who you use. You're not doing it for your sake at all. There is no other hidden motive over there. In Hinduism, it's the principle of karma. You are increasing a good karma, so on the day of judgment, your good will balance your bad. Ultimately, you may squeeze it. That is karma. This has got nothing. So you need to realize, much of the charity work that happens in religion is selfish in motive. You are doing it for your sake. You are not doing it for the other's sake. And God says, I do not accept any that kind of charity. (laughs) The person may eat and may be full and say, thank you, Saab, and go. But I do not acknowledge that at all. Because the heart matters. The motive, why are you doing this? It matters. The poor who are cast When you see the naked, you cover him. Not hide yourself from your own flesh. Even your own flesh and blood, you see there is a need. Help them out. Help them out. Okay, and verse 8. Then you like Then. Your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of your Lord shall come. He's, he's talking about the power of genuine fasting and prayer. He says, when your heart is right with me, and you seek me, you turn from your evil ways, and you're looking at the oppressed, he says, you know what? Suddenly light will break forth for you. Things will start happening. Because you are focused on the other and not on yours. And there's one more thing. He says, and words, uh, nine. Okay. Then we will go to, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. One more thing he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing finger, stop 
accusing others. Mm. Stop blaming somebody else for your problem. Stop that pointing finger. Somebody said when you point a finger at somebody, remember, other three fingers are pointing at you. Only one point finger is pointing at the other. He says, stop the pointing finger. Okay. Even if it is true, it does not matter. How does it solve your problem? I am the only one who can solve your problem. So stop pointing fingers and stop speaking wickedness. So you see, God is looking into the heart first, not at the fasting. It's not looking at the fasting, he's looking at the heart. He says, if your heart is right, then your fasting is right. If your heart is wrong, it doesn't matter how great your fasting is. Mm, yes. It's not going to make any. But if your heart is right and you fast, you suddenly you will hear. Your light will break forth. You will hear very clearly from God. So Jehoshaphat's heart was very clear. He was, this is what we are. And you know, Nehemiah, all of them, we have sinned against you. Our forefathers have sinned. We have nothing to say, Lord. When you judge us, you are absolutely right. We are not vindicating ourselves. We are not condemning. You are absolutely Immediately light breaks forth. God says, he has favor with the king. The king notices. King says, go. Jerusalem is rebuilt. Jehoshaphat, the prophet, comes and says, don't worry. The Lord has heard you. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. You know, when our heart, that's what it means, light breaks through. Suddenly you have an issue. God tells you how to deal with it. You have an answer. You hear from God. Hear from God. That's what it means. We need an answer from God. Lord, a yeah, no, or wait. Whatever it is, I heard. If you give me an answer, I'll be fine. Even if it is wait, I will know. Okay, answer is coming. He's just saying wait. But people don't hear. It's because though they fast and do all kind of things, they don't do what God says. So I say 58 is one of the most powerful chapters about what is the kind of fasting that God is looking for. Looking for. You know? So God will say, if you turn with me, I think Joel also, 2.12. 2.12. Joel, turn with me, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You will say, but I don't feel like weeping and mourning. God says, don't worry, you just come to me, I will make you weep. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay. If you really were to see where you are going, you will cry for mercy. So many people, so many, I mean, a lot of people are walking in this false as a security. I'm going to heaven. Or those who are going to heaven with this false security, I'm going to get crowns. God says, if you were to really, that's what Peter, no, Peter was thought, I'm a good, robot. he's in, in the book of Acts, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I've never eaten it. So they're all very religious Jews. <laughs> but when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, his first word is, Lord, go away from me, Lord. I'm unclean, I'm a sinner. And Isaiah is a prophet, and he should be the clean man in Israel. But when he has a glimpse of God's (laughs) glory, glory, he says, woe unto me. I'm unclean, and all the people with me. So what shows them is their uncleanness. The fact is that we do not see because we do not draw close to God. We draw close to God. And God is not saying that to condemn us. He says, I want to cleanse you so that you can come closer and closer to me. Because that's the whole purpose. So Arifa and Arifa's dad, I hope you, I gave you a little snippet on fasting. Maybe one of these days we will teach on it. But it's basically the heart. The heart. No, I'm telling you, I'm not boasting or anything. Okay, I'm not boasting. Why does my wife hear so clearly? I've never seen a person who hears so clearly like her. She just hears clearly. It's, it's, it's sometimes scary the way she can hear. It's scary. You know what? There's no guile in her heart. I'm not sure she's right in all her ways. I'm not saying that. 
And sometimes it's a silly stuff. But that's where I do the correction. Mm-hmm. But she's absolutely no guile in her heart. Her heart is transparent before God. She's transparent before God. And you know what? She hears. She hears clearly. And people have asked about her prayer. Her prayer is from her heart. And there's no fooling. That's the way she prays alone. That's the way she prays with people. And that's the way she prays over here. She doesn't have two kinds of prayer. It's always the same. And before God, it will be even more vehement. In private, it will be even more vehement, even with tears and even more with groaning. Okay, that's a difference. So, you need to understand, if our heart is clear, heart is clear, okay? You hear very, very clearly. Very, very clear. God will speak to you. God wants this. Which father doesn't want to speak to the children? It's the children who don't want to speak to the father. You know, fathers want to speak to the children. You know? And God is, he says, you evil fathers know how to give good things to your children. How much more? How much more? Amen. Okay. So, fasting is part of it. Professor, question number nine also actually talks about this. Yes. Uh, about this, I think you can wind up by, by answering yeah. that. Uh, dear Pastor James, I have a question. The Bible says some things must come through fasting and prayer. Mm. Should we fast to find out what is happening with us? To check out our heart and our mind? Mm. To keep ourselves in check always? Also, what about health-wise? Would that be wrong to combine both fast to lose weight and also to check out our minds (laughs) and our hearts? Don't fast to lose weight. Just fast, you will lose weight. Hallelujah. (laughs) Intention should not be able to lose weight. Something, this is talking about the guy who, the boy who had that uh, spirit that uh, used to cause him to have those epileptic fits. And uh, the disciples couldn't do anything. And then Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he asked, from how long has this been? He says, from childhood. And then uh, the young man, right, I think. And then just cast the demon out. So in privately, when the disciples come and ask Jesus, why couldn't we do that? He says, because of your unbelief. Hmm. Because of your unbelief. And then he said, but this kind, that's what I'm talking about, comes out with fasting and prayer. So there's always a controversy about that. What did he mean by that? Did he mean by... Uh, Fasting to cast out demons? I don't think so. No. That's not, that's never happened in the Bible. You cast out demons because of authority, you know, and the demons recognize your authority. But he's talking about unbelief. Faith, yes. Okay, faith, mm-hmm. unbelief. Okay, our biggest block is unbelief. So fasting, like, it's connected with what we've heard so far. We humble ourselves. Mm. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't have to understand to believe. Mm. I still don't understand electricity. We use it happily. Mm. Okay. We don't have to understand God. We don't have to understand the ways of God. God does not have to explain it all. But you know what? I believe. I believe. So, you fast and you pray to fight unbelief. You fight unbelief. Because the biggest block in Christians for things of God to pass, come to pass in our life is unbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of them struggled with unbelief. Even the disciples struggled with unbelief. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So we shall go to the questions question from. Four. Yes, so it's from Israel. From, from Israel. Israel. They are tough questions. Not tough questions. It's a. Question number four onwards. Mm. It is very difficult for us Jews to believe Jesus died and rose again. Why do we have such a block? Why is it we cannot just believe that God loves Israel? Okay, first let me make a correction. 
God loves the whole world. He loves everybody. That's what John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. When God loves Israel, it is not because Israel is very special. God loves Israel because of his covenant with Abraham. Abraham. Yes. Absolutely. Covenant with Abraham. That's what you see uh, symbolically in the book of Samuel when David is king. He says, is there anybody in the household of Saul? The Saul is his enemy who tried to kill him, chased him, took years of his life. But he says, for the sake of Jonathan. Saul's eldest son, Jonathan, risked his life to save David. So he says, for Jonathan's sake, I want to show mercy to somebody. Okay? So if God is merciful to Israel, it is because of his covenant. It's a covenant-keeping word. He gave his word to Abraham. He renewed that word with Isaac. He renewed that word with Jacob, the first three patriarchs. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will not break his covenant. He will not break his covenant. He is not loving Israel for Israel's sake. He is loving Israel for the sake of his covenant. If you go when Israel cries out, after 400 Egypt. years, okay. Exodus chapter 2, 22, if I am right. Chapter 2, when they were crying out. 23. 23. Chapter 2, 23 to 25. Now it happened in the process, the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. Now they are praying, crying. Their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And what does verse 24 say? So God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. The covenant. God has given his word. I mean, we say a man is only worth his word. Okay, that's what God says. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. You see this notary and bond and all came later. Old days you had nothing. If a man said this, this thing and that is how it happened. We can hear this. God has given his word to Abraham. So when they cried out, are they good people? Does God know none of them will enter into the promised land? That they will rebel against him over and over, complain, grumble, all kinds of crazy stuff they will do, want to stone Moses, elect another leader, go back to you. He knows it all. But he still rescues them. You know why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. So God's first thing about that is God's God's heart towards Israel is because he is a covenant-keeping God. Second thing is uh, Corinthians. Let's go to Second Corinthians. So First Corinthians, when the law is read, there is a veil. Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. three. Okay. Verse 13 onwards. The Jewish problem. Unlike Moses who put a veil so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Meaning when he came down with the law. Okay, It has a symbolic. But their minds were blinded. For until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Yes. Okay. But whenever, yeah, even to this day when Moses is read, that is the law is read, a veil lies on their heart. And verse 16, mm-hmm. nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Mm-hmm. This is the problem with the Jewish brethren. You see, 
One of the fundamental things about the law you need to understand is that the law saves nobody. The simple question is, I mean, just think about it. If the law could save anybody, why are all those peace offerings? Why are all the slaughter of lambs and sheep and goats and bulls and all? Why is blood being poured out? It's because nobody can keep the law. Mm. Can keep the law. Okay. Why do you have a day of atonement? Why do you have a day of atonement? Why do you have all of this? So it was all pointing to something. It was all pointing to something. And the simple question to ask over there is, what was it pointing to? It is pointing, it is given there in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman. Then you see it on Mount Moriah. Yes. The picture is there. Abraham is offering his son, God, Isaac, God says no. And uh, a ram is offered in its place. And then you have the Passover lamb. And very specific about the Passover lamb. It has to be blemishless. It has to be inspected. No blemish. And only that is accepted. Now think about it logically. Think about it simply, logically. Can the blood of a lamb take your sins away? Can you really take it away? Think about logically. I mean, God is not illogical. Think about it logically with your rational mind. Can an innocent lamb being sacrificed take my sins away? No, it doesn't take my sins away. So it was pointing to something which God would do. It is pointing to something else. It is pointing to something else. How does it take it away? So what was it pointing? It was pointing to what God would do. See, this was the trap in the book of Genesis. The devil was trying to nap. He knew God is holy. God is holy. And God is righteous. And the wages of sin is death. Okay, God is holy. Please, when I'm talking, look here. Because it's very difficult to talk to everybody looking there. I cannot talk to the camera. Because we are not camera people. Okay? <laughs> we are not actors. We are living people. <laughs> Okay, so at least one person looks so I can know I'm speaking to somebody. Mm. So what happened is God is holy, God is righteous. So the devil knows that if he can get man to sin, he will be judged. But the devil knows also one thing, God is love, that God loves man. Okay, so he's, it's a setup. He thought he put God in a cast 22 setup. You get the one you love to sin. Then you have to destroy them. Mm. Okay. To a cast 22 situation. Get man to sin and God loves man. He knows it. God walking with Adam and Eve and God loves man, created his own image and everything. God says, okay, God loves man. And if the one he loves sins, then God in his holiness and the God of love has to destroy the one he loves. So he says, I got God in a box. But what he did not know was God's plan. God knew it all. He says, okay, I know. Before Before the foundation of this world, God had known. So you know what God did? God came. As his son, God sent his only son so that God would judge sin in Christ. In Christ. Okay, in Christ. And the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about it that if, uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 and Acts 2 and verse 23. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What does it mean? The devil did not know. Hmm. The cross was a mystery. 
So we don't blame the Jews for not understanding the cross. Because even the devil who is a spiritual being, Satan did not understand the cross. Hmm. Because if he had known the cross, he thought the cross was his greatest victory, it became his greatest defeat. He had no clue. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan knew the cross was God's way to save mankind, where God's justice is met, and yet man is redeemed. Okay, so if you come to Acts chapter two twenty three, Peter's first sermon. Okay, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. But this was decided by God. The Trinity had already decided this. The Trinity had only decided this. And the Jews have, oh, okay, Jesus can can't be the Son of God. Then who is? Does God have a son? In the sense of spiritual, does have a son? Yes. The Lord said to my Lord, okay? Sami says all that, yes. right? David says all that. So you can, you see, you will not understand the old covenant unless you are born again through Christ. Because then the veil is taken away. And the simple question is, how do you answer Isaiah 53? Yes. The Hebrews, the Jews have no answer to the suffering Messiah. They are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ as the first coming. They one day, that's why even the disciples, when they asked with Jesus, they were, that's why they ran away. Because they couldn't understand the cross. Even Peter is trying to oppose the cross. But God says, my first coming is to save man from the penalty of sin. My second coming is to save man from the power of sin. Hallelujah. Okay. First coming is first, you know. What is God going to do with a set of people who are sinners? How can he take them to heaven? Heaven is a holy place. So first we have to be saved from sin. Saved from sin. And that's the first promise in the new covenant, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. First promise in the new covenant, when the new covenant opens, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall name, call his name Jesus, which means Yeshua, Joshua, Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. We have to be. But you know, the the most beautiful, remember, in, in, actually, the Jews who get saved understand it better because the entire Bible was written by Jews, mm-hmm. including the New Covenant. Gentiles did not write it. I think the only Gentile who wrote is Luke. Luke that's it. Okay, all mm-hmm. the entire Bible is written by the Jews. That's why we love them. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they wrote it and give it to us. They don't understand. We do. <laughs> okay, if you turn with me to the book of Romans, this is it, and verse twenty, chapter three, and verse twenty-one. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. There's a righteousness by the law. The problem with the righteousness by the law is that you have to do right every single moment. James 3.10, if I'm right. 3.10. This is a problem with the law. If you have quick, if you want, yes. yes. Uh, 210, 210, 210. It's 210 or 310. Yeah, 210. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. That is why in the entire law, peace offerings, offering after offering after offering, verse, no, known sins, unknown sins, sins of omission, you are just, blood is just flowing. (laughs) Simple question to my Jewish brethren, or the ones who are saved now, the others is like, uh, you had all these offerings taking place. When was the last time an offering was taken place in Israel? Is there a temple? It's over. So are you atoned? 
There's no offering. There's no Passover. There's no Day of Atonement. There's no high priest doing any of these things because there's no temple. So where are you going? If your trust is in the law and the works of the law, where are you going? Why did it all stop? Why did it all stop? Because they lost its meaning. When Christ came and he became the Passover Lamb of God, all of that was just taken away. Because God is in control of history. Mm. Even if you wanted to do it, it, it was not possible anyway. The temple was destroyed and everything is taken away. You were all exiled and you had no way to do it. And you still are not able to do it. You may have a day, but the day has no meaning. It has no meaning, okay? Because it's all. That's why there's a whale covered. So if you go back to Romans uh, chapter 3, this is the explanation. So beautifully given by the Pharisee of all Pharisees who became a Christian called Apostle Paul. <laughs> now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Yeah. Even the this is not the righteousness that comes by the working of the law, it's the righteousness of God. Mm. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Yes. It doesn't matter whether you are Jew or Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we believe that Jesus took my penalty, and the simple way I've always explained it the simple way. The simple way is very easy. Uh, in the court of law, let us say, uh, I'm, t- I'm, I'm taken to, let's say, simple say, our police station. And they will say, we'll release you on bail. But we need surety. And the surety has to be a man of standing. You, you like I said last time, you take a criminal over there, he will put him also in the lockup. <laughs> he needs a man of standing who's got a very good standing. And then they will release you on surety, on his surety. Okay, that's basically. God says, I will release you. And it's surety of one righteous man. And there's only one righteous man in history, that is Jesus, who was tempted at all points and never sinned. That is why, you see, uh, if you know the old covenant and you understand the law, iniquity is passed down from the father. Mm. That is why whatever you say, the bloodline is through the father. Mm. So though, that is why you also have the law, even in Gentile nations, that you should not marry your cousins were from your father's line. Though Hindus marry their cousins from their mother's line. Mm. Yeah, and many of diseases, uh, if you especially have noticed in Muslim communities, they have a lot of medical issues is that because they intermarry close relatives. And God has said no after the, after Abraham, Sarah and after that stage has okay, passed, God said no. But if you look at the medical thing, the bloodline comes through the father. It is not through the mother. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if you, I will, I will, I will give you from Leviticus. It's a imp- very important. Stick to Romans 3, okay? So we understand because our Jewish brethren are asking. Le- Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh that the person is in the blood, and have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Mm. And we know that life is in the blood. You can be brain dead, but they don't declare you dead until your heart stops beating. And any part of your body where the blood stops flowing, that part of the body will die. Mm. It's the blood that circulates. It's a blood. Life is in the blood. Okay, so when man sinned, what they lost was life. 
the life that came from God. They had a physical life, but they lost a spiritual life. The only entity which has life in it is on earth is blood. So God says, to make atonement, offer blood. Temporary measure, I will accept it. If you send the blood. Okay. So now when you go over there between Jesus Christ, what happens on the cross is that he is pouring out his soul. He is pouring out his blood. That is why the Bible says through the blood of Jesus, like the Passover lamb, through the blood of Jesus, we have remission for our sins. God accepts his offering. Once and for all, it is done. Jesus does not come and die again and again and again. No, no more offerings needed once and for all because it is the life of God's own son. Okay, that is how it happens. That is the righteousness that comes by faith. You're not putting your trust in anything, Lord. I come to you just as I am. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to say. All I'm pleading for is, Lord, have mercy. I believe in the work of your son, that he died in my place. And his blood that was offered is acceptable in your sight. I cannot add anything to it. I will not subtract anything to it. You are completely pleased with the life, the death of your son for the remission of my sins. And his resurrection is connected with my resurrection. His life and his death is connected with my forgiveness. And that is then God. What does God do is that he imputes, it is imputation, not impartation, he imputes. He imputes the righteousness of Christ into my soul. And what happens? By the Spirit, you are born again. When you are born again, the eyes open. You start understanding scripture. Oh, this is what happens. You start. Till then, the law. The law had only one purpose. The purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. The law doesn't do anything other than condemn you. Law awakens the consciousness of sin. The law doesn't help you, like the law. Turn left. What happened? The law comes and helps you to turn left? No. If you don't turn left, you will hit the speed breaker. That's all. Okay, the law doesn't help you. The law doesn't help anybody. That's why the Bible says law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law doesn't help you at all. So there is a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. In simple thing, that's why even the thief on one side, the last minute he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, no, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus tells you, that's all it takes. It's from your heart. I'm a king and I have a kingdom. You believe, you're forgiven. You forgive. How can you forgive this guy? It's, uh, and this is one of the most difficult pe- issues with righteous people, righteous under the law. They cannot accept sinners getting into the kingdom like that. But the law says you have to be punished. You have to suffer for your sins. But God says you don't have to. My son did on your behalf. Just believe in him and you will enter into my kingdom. You may go through the consequences of your sin in this body, in this world. Eternal consequences cancelled. And that righteous people struggle. All righteous people under the law who have worked hard and they have been honest and integrity and God says, all that will not take you to heaven. Can you say from the time you were conscious till the day you died, you never sinned? No. In thought, in word, in deed, no. Wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Nobody will make it. There's only one way you will make it. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father other than through me. It's impossible to come. There's only one way we can go to God. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. Mm-hmm. Atonement is finished. 
man doesn't have to die and go to, away from God. And God has brought both Jew and Gentile together. Ephesians will talk about in Christ Jesus. Broke the middle, the, broke the middle wall. Broke the middle wall. There's no other way for Jews also. Even the Jews. Okay, now let me let go to Zachariah. It's which chapter? They will cry upon whom they... Chapter uh, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. Now, let us ask our uh, Jewish brethren. Verse 10. Verse 10. Okay, this is Old Covenant. This is there in your Torah. <laughs> okay. Which is our old, our Bible. Okay. I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for you. You're, the Jews are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. After that terrible period of the Antichrist, there will be a remnant still left. And they will see him coming. And when they see him coming, how will they see him coming? With the pierced hands and the pierced legs and the side ruin. And then they will know, oh, Yeshua is the Messiah. Yeah. What will they do? They, they will, will mourn. mourn for it. Meaning even the Jews who come through the tribulation for them to be saved, they will accept Jesus as their Savior. They will mourn. They will cry out for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Why are they grieving for him? Meaning, Lord, you are the one we crucified. We crucified our Messiah. We, then they will know. Okay, they will know. So, old covenant, will you will only understand it. Only You will only understand it when your eyes are opened. We understand the old covenant better than them. Mm. The rabbis are fantastic teachers, mm. but it is the letter, and the letter of the law kills the Spirit gives life. So if you go back to Romans 3.21, it's so beautifully put across the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul. Yeah. All have sinned. Yeah, Verse 23 onwards. For all have sinned, fall short the glory of God. And verse 24. Onwards, yeah. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Okay. The Jews who are saved, if you know, if you know, how when the destroyer was passing over Egypt, what did the Jews have to do? Only one thing. They had to kill the Passover lamb, take the blood by faith, apply it and they stay inside it's all they had to do. And the destroyer passed over every house there was the blood. What did Rahab have to do when Jericho was going to be destroyed? They said, put a crimson ribbon. Why crimson? Why not Bob? Why, why don't some other color? Crimson ribbon. Over this thing, your house will be saved. So the picture, that is why the Bible says Jesus who was slain before the foundation. God is living in eternity. So all these things have already happened to him. We are already with him. Not that we will be with him. <laughs> we are waiting to be with him, but we are already with him for him. So he is outside of time. So you need to realize it is Jesus. The Passover lamb was a shadow. The real person, the substance was Jesus. So when they by faith put it, the destroyer passes over because he sees the atonement of Jesus Christ. So even the old covenant people, people, okay, okay, we'll go through and we will go back to it because this is a very important topic. Yeah, go. Okay, previously committed. Go to verse 26. To dem- this is the most powerful sentence, okay, in this whole narrative. To demonstrate at the present time that his righteousness, 
that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Christ. God has to be just. Sin has to be punished. He won't wink at sin. Because he is just. He is righteous. He is holy. He is. He will not. He has to punish sin. So he has to be just. Yet he has to justify the sinner. How does he do both things at the same time? How does he do the both things at the same time? Let me give you the illustration. I have spoken this before, but we have a new audience today listening. This literally happened in a small town in US. I'm so listen, you're very familiar. It doesn't matter. Listen again. Mm. There are new Hindu believers all listening. In a small town in US, two kids who studied in school together. One came from a rich family, one from a poorer family. They studied together. The rich guy used to bung, he used to drink, he would do all kind of stuff. His family went down, everything collapsed. The other guy studied, became a lawyer, and he became a judge. And one day his friend, his old friend, is arrested for a crime, what he committed, brought to the court. Small town, you know, American, the country town, small town, 300, 400 people. The entire town is in court. <laughs> they want to see, because they know they were childhood friends. The judge is sitting over there, other fellow is in the dock, all the evidence is against him. Once evidence all has been presented, can he say, it's my friend, oh, let him go. He can't do that. He has to uphold the law. So he sentences it. He says, for what is this? According to the law, you have to pay these many thousand dollars as fine or spend these many days in prison. Sentencing it. And he knows the guy has no dime to pay. He's bankrupt. After sentencing, what he does is he gets off from the bench. He gets to the clerk and says, writes a check and says, I pay his debt. Let him go. He's just and justified. He's just mm. and he's, he's justified. justified. Now the only thing the fellow, fellow has to do is accept that. He says, yes, he can pay. If he says, no, he cannot pay for me, I will send, pay out, pay out my sentence in jail, then the check is withdrawn. Both parties have to agree, otherwise it does not work. In the same thing, God did it. He looked at man, he loves man, man has sinned, and God says, sentence to death. Wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Sentenced to death. Then he gets off the door. He comes as Jesus. Jesus comes. The Son of God comes. He lives up. That's why, like you said, blood is atonement. Blood is by the Father's line. So that is why the prophecy in Isaiah, the virgin shall give birth. How can a virgin give birth? Why should a virgin give birth? Because a father has to be God. The bloodline. If his father is Joseph, then he's already born in sin and shaped in iniquity. His father is not Joseph. The bloodline is pure. He's without sin. Because if he's with sin, born with sin, he cannot become atonement. The Passover lamb is already blemished. Already blemished. That is why the Isaiah prophecy, born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, you shall conceive, and he shall be the Holy One of Israel, and he shall be great. We saw that in Luke one twenty three and all this thing over there. And Mary sings Mary's song. The poor Catholic gets deceived over there because Mary says, my soul rejoices in my God, my Savior. Where is that God in her womb? She knows it's her son who will save her. She doesn't understand it then, but prophetically the Holy Spirit moves and she speaks because Catholic Church has made. Catholic doesn't, so what did they do? To con- this issue, what the Catholic Church do, they, they talk about the immaculate conception of Mary, that Mary herself is holy, so that the child is holy. But you don't understand, that is not how the principle works in the Bible. It, I will pass the iniquity of the fathers, not the mothers, of the fathers. The mothers, the girls carry the iniquity of the father. 
doesn't carry the iniquity. Iniquity is passed down from father to children. It passed down that line. Okay. So we need to understand that's how it works. So Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. The human body he gets from his mother, but the spirit is blemishless. And then he comes in the same body like Adam and he's tempted at all points. It is important and he does not sin because if he sins, sins once. Go back there. Keep your, yeah. Go back to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. His prayer is completely different from our prayers. Okay. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. It's interesting. Why is he? Because we see early in the morning when it's still dark, he goes to a secluded place and he prays. And now we see, this is how he prays every day. He cries, he weeps and says, Lord, save me from death. And the Bible says God heard him. But if you look at the cross, it looks like, did you really hear him? Because he died on the cross. Now he's not praying to be rescued from the cross, the physical death. There are two deaths. We all die because we sinned. There is a second death, eternal separation from from God. What he is praying for is, Lord, let me not sin and die eternally from you. I need that I do not sin today. So he is crying, who is able to save him from death. What death? The death that comes as a result of sinning. Yes. Result of sinning. That is his prayer. Why? He has to live his entire life without sinning. Then only he can become the Passover lamb. So when he is gone on to the cross, he has never sinned. He becomes the atonement for man's sins. And God looks at that and he says, it is acceptable. Now every man who comes to God has to come through Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. It is like that other guy on the on the dock. He accepts. Has he done anything to deserve forgiveness? No. no. It is entirely paid by the judge. Mm. Your entire fine has been judged. You can go out and start your life again. You have been given a new life. And that is what happened to the, the thief on that side. He looked at Jesus and Lord, he can't fold his hands. He said, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, you shall. You believe me? Mm. You believe? Mm. Okay. You believe? Okay. And that is it. Both sides have to. God has already done his part. That's what I'm, I always say. Hell is full of Forgiven sinners. sinners. <laughs> Full of forgiven sinners. Everybody was paid. Only thing, people did not receive it. That is why the gospel has to be preached to the ends of the world. You don't see Jews proselytizing. Mm. You don't see Jews proselytizing. They don't proselytize. Why? You need to ask, why don't you proselytize? They hardly do. But the Christians are all there. They're crazy about preaching the gospel. And the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. People have Died to preach the gospel. What does the gospel mean? It means good news. What is the good news? The good news is man does not have to die anymore. Mm. God has made a way man can come back to him. And you die, you live forever with God. You don't have to be eternally separated from God. Why? God has made a way through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Mm. And when Jesus, if you come to the book of Colossians. Colossians. Verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. Yeah. When you were dead in your sins, 
in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You getting it? The entire law is against us. And the requirements of the law, no man can meet. You know what he did? He took the law and nailed it on the cross. He said, it is fulfilled in Christ. Having disarmed principalities power, meaning the accuser has no standing before God. Has no standing before God. That is in Romans chapter 8. Thirty-one, thirty-three, and thirty-four. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. That is what you're talking about. A righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. It doesn't mean after you see the guy who was set freed by his friend, can go out and go back to his old life again. The next time he's caught, his friend will not set him free. Mm. Okay, This is why we say, we said in the morning also, God has done everything he can do. The greatest power on earth is the power of love. That's why the Bible says God never fails, love never fails. Once we know what God has done for us and we still cannot serve God, God says, there's nothing more I can do. What more can I do for you? Hmm. That's the power of love. Once we understand the cross, once we understand the cross, it is not that we don't sin again. That is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Okay? Okay? Now it's different. It is different. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with Father Jesus Christ. When we sin, what do we do? We run to the cross. We run to the cross. You go to Hebrews 4.16 and Hebrews 10.19. Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, come boldly to the throne room of grace that we may obtain. You can come boldly. You're a child now. You have been forgiven. When you fall, what do you need to do? Run to the throne. Don't run away, run. What do you receive? You receive mercy. 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 And find grace. What is grace for? So that you don't stumble in the same place. Mm-hmm. Don't try to walk on your own. God says, my spirit is there. Mm-hmm. My strength is there. I'll help you to overcome sin. Okay, I will overcome. That is the second promise in the new covenant. Matthew 1 and verse 23. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with mm-hmm. us. That is the spirit of God that he gives us. He lives in us. He helps us to overcome sin. And how do we go? Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood. This is the living way. 20, 19 and 19 and 20. You can put it together. No? By a new and living way which we consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Hallelujah. Okay. We need to understand this thing. There is only one way man can go to God. It is through Jesus. Old covenant, they needed the blood to go to the blood of the lamb and the spirit, and even the high priest had to first uh, to sprinkle blood, then only he could go. But that's closed. Now there's only one way you can go. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we, like crazy people, sing about the blood of Jesus, glorify the blood of Jesus, because the blood gives us access. Mm. Through the blood and the body, the spiritual 
truth about it. We have access, meaning a sinner cannot enter into the presence of God. Only a say, a holy man. How do we become holy? Not by our works. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood cleanses us. If you go to 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we confess. Eight onwards. Eight onwards. One, one John, John. One John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. These are those who are saved. The truth is not in us. If we. Yeah. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How? Verse 10. Yeah. If we say, yeah, we, we have not verse sinned. Verse 7 is actually talks about. Okay, verse 7. Yeah, go to verse 7. Yeah. If you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what does it do? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light, meaning the thing about light is that the more we walk like, no? <laughs> this light will show all the, every pockmark on your face. You, th- you think you had a close shave in the morning, but that light will show all the stubble. <laughs> but if the light is dark, you, f- you look very good. No, very, I, re, I still remember the illustration given by a preacher. Uh, no, it was, I think it was Billy Graham. Billy Graham's wife. Wife mm-hmm. saying that, you know, the TV camera, they were coming, the crew was coming to interview him. So it is in the front row. So they did a great job before they came, great job, vacuumed everything, everything spick and span, and then the TV crew came. And when the TV crew came and they put it on their floodlights, the lady started noticing stuff everywhere around because the light started showing stuff which was not visible. Okay, that's that's what Bible is talking about. God is light and he is in the light. When we walk in the light, he is in the light. He will start showing things. And when he shows things, we will cry out for mercy. And the blood of Jesus cleanses. And you know what happens? We have fellowship with him. And when a community of believers walk like that, they have fellowship with him and they have fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. It's a comfort in darkness, but those are cockroaches. <laughs> it's a comfort in light. They are saints. Live transparent lives. Mm-hmm. They live transparent lives with God and with each other. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. See, this is all there in the old covenant. Everything that happened in the old covenant was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Fulfilled. You have the Passover lamb. Who is Passover lamb? It is Jesus Christ. After Passover comes the festival of the unleavened bread. Who, how do you go through where the sin is taken away? The Holy Spirit leads you. He shows you. And you take it out. You confess the blood of Jesus. It is the entire thing. And 50 days later came the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is the first harvest. It was on the 50th day after Jesus died that the Holy Spirit comes. The church is baptized in the Holy Spirit and the gospel begins. You have the first harvest. That day, 3,000 were saved. And for my Jewish brethren, when Moses came down with the law from the mountain, in that that day, in the camp, 3,000 died. Mm. That's why the number is important mm. because it's symbolic. When law came, law came with Moses, grace came with Jesus Christ. When the law came through Moses, 3,000 died. When grace came 50 days later after Jesus rose, 3,000 were saved from death. This is the difference. When Moses went into Egypt, he turned water into blood. Jesus, when he went into Cana, his first act, he turned water into wine, a sign of joy. Law brings death. Grace brings life. The two different applications. So we don't live under the law. Law condemns. Grace justifies. Mm. 
You are only justified through Jesus Christ. So if you ask that question about Jesus, you know what happens? People don't understand. People don't understand. It is only through Christ and Christ alone. So yes, Jews did a mock trial, which is against their own law. And the Romans crucified, so both Gentiles and Jews were responsible for the death. But it was the determined counsel of God. That was God's way out. So Peter will say, the Jesus whom you crucified. So you have a block. You have a block. But the block is removed oh, when you turn to Jesus. Actually, it's uh, Pastor, the, because you say in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 6 it says, mm. You cannot be a surety to your friend. Nobody can actually Nobody. be a surety to your friend. You have to literally release yourself yes, from, yes. from that. And also, uh, if you can see Proverbs 30, uh, verses 1 to 4 is very interesting, um, because they have a question about the sun. Proverbs 30, 30, verses 1 to 4. <coughs> the, the proverb of, Proverbs of Agur. The words of Agur, the son of Yake, his utterance, this man declared to Ethiel, the Ethiel, uh, to Ethiel and Yukal, Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have understanding of a man. And verse 3, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. And verse 4 is very interesting. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has borne the waters in, his, in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? If you know. You know. <laughs> and that's the reason why Jesus says nobody has descended, as from, descended as from him except the son. Except the son. This is exactly what uh, the, what was a mystery in the old mystery covenant. in the old covenant. In the, in the new and covenant. Jews, Jews struggle with that. Hmm. But the fact is that if you, if you turn to the book of Hebrews, which is again from the, from the old covenant, which is, if I am right, which is from, from the book of Psalms. Yes, yes. Right? Verse 8. Hmm. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. Uh, verse 5 onwards. Verse 5 onwards. onwards. It's all from the book of Psalms. All from, mm. Okay. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again I will be to, to him, him a father, father and he shall to be me a son. Read again. Yeah. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? Verse, come down. the sun, he says. Yeah, verse 8. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, oh God, is forever and ever, and a scepter righteousness is a scepter. You know, he's just quoting from the book of Psalms. <laughs> Absolutely. God calls his son, your God. God. Your God. Okay, so that is where you have the entire doctrine of Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. When did he become son? I believe he became the son when God begot him in the flesh. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The God the Spirit is also there. And you see it right if you go to John 1 1. John 1 1. And then I think we'll close here. Yeah, it's going to be 8 o'clock. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 2. Yeah. He was in the beginning with God. He's called the Word. Okay. And all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made. And you see that in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void, darkness covered. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And verse 3 says, let there be light. God said the word he spoken. So you have God, the Father, God, the Son, represented as the word, and God, the Holy Spirit, who brings everything into being. It is not a very good illustration, but for our finite minds to understand the infinite in a simplistic way, the thing is that, Tomorrow morning, when I step out into this thing, 
you have if you look up your eyes will go you have the sun midday especially in hyderabad mm. in summer you have the sun blazing mm. okay the sun is there millions of miles away it's a blazing ball of fire mm. but when i look out of the window i see the light mm. the light comes from the sun when i stand out even if i'm eyes are closed i feel the heat i feel the heat now the sun that is there the light which i see and through which i see and the heat i feel are all part of the same but they are three different entities mm. okay so god the father whom we do not see god the son the light which we understand the light makes us visible we understand now heat i cannot see i can only feel experience the holy spirit i experience mm. who reveals it so that's the way the trinity works god the father god the son and god the holy, holy spirit. spirit so the holy spirit is not somebody you see the holy spirit is somebody but jesus is the light he says i am the light of the world mm. and the light of the world that is the doctrine of the trinity and they are one they are they are three yet they are one mm. so the the what they call shema 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 is right the lord your god is, is one. one god your one is one the trinity is one it's a spiritual truth they are one yet they are three meaning in unity in essence in everything they work together they work together they work together the father the son and the holy spirit okay they work together so that's to my jewish brother okay there is no other way it's no other way and i'm so happy the eyes have been open actually you can read the second part of the question because that's the testimony that they have sent okay. question number 4 yeah um yeah today after prayer my entire family surrendered to the savior the messiah the yeshua. yeshua i want to be that voice in the wilderness ask the jews to let the truth, truth set, them set them free okay you <laughs> see if you look at it about israel is very interesting <laughs> israel uh, knows their biggest lobby in us is evangelical christians, christians. <laughs> they stand up for israel because evangelical christians love israel because they know israel is from where jesus came the patriarchs everything they love the jews what i am telling you the truth to israel israel doesn't love christians they use christians they use christians for their political benefit they don't they will not allow the gospel to be preached as far as i am right you cannot have one tv station that preaches the gospel in israel to the jews you cannot proselytize a jew they will come after you so these brethren trust god allow the holy spirit to lead you because they will turn <laughs> okay that's why the that's why god says i have put a stumbling block a stone in zion oh. everybody stumbles over i mean the hindu the muslim the christian the buddhist everybody stumbles over christ over what that one statement i am the way the way and no man comes to god other than through me over that they stumble the hindu will accept christ as long as he is one of the gods they have no issue they will put him also there but if you tell him he is the only way he will not Muslims have a major issue with Christ they will accept but he is not the son of god allah cannot have a son because they are understanding it a different perspective altogether but if you if you look into the quran who is this yeshua <laughs> he is ruala ruala he is the breath of god he is the word of god in this thing who is born of the virgin okay there was a there was a i knew when i was a student there was a brother um whose house a muslim came and he was debating and after that he left after that he left this we didn't want to get into an argument but when he left the spirit of god spoke to that man and he said call him back and ask him these three these questions 
So he called him back and said, Brother, we are not we are not into argument or anything. We love each other. We just want to help you. I just have to ask you this question. What does the Quran talk about Jesus' birth? He says, virgin birth. What does the Quran talk about Muhammad's birth? Normal birth. What does the Quran talk about Jesus' life? Sinless. What does the Quran talk about Muhammad's life? Normal. What does the Quran talk about Jesus' death? Supernatural. They say he did not die. Allah replaced that. So his death is supernatural. What does the Quran talk about Muhammad's death? Normal. Who's the one coming back? Yeshua, Jesus or Muhammad? Jesus. He said you got your answer in the Quran itself. You should be calling upon Jesus, not on Muhammad. Yeah, super. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, for the Muslim brethren, you need to read your Quran and ask, how many times is Muhammad or Ahmad mentioned in Quran? And how many times is Yeshua Isa, or Isa, Isa mentioned in the Quran? You will blow your mind off. It's all about Isa. It's not about Muhammad. And the fundamental fallacy about, about Quran, the fundamental biggest block in the Quran is this. You will not understand logically thinking. Law came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus Christ. In grace, there is a righteousness that comes from God by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And we saw when grace came in, faith in the law has been taken away. Now we are not led by the law. We are led by the spirit, mm. which is higher than the law. Mm -hmm. The law will say, thou shalt not kill. Mm. The spirit will say, you should not even get angry and call somebody fool. Mm. The law will say, thou shalt not commit adultery. The grace will say, you should not even look with somebody with lust. Now you will see the law is easier or grace is easier. You will say law is easier. But grace overcomes because now from within the Holy Spirit is leading you. So we'll say, how will we live without the law? The thing is that the law is for the lawless. Mm. I don't need the law to drive carefully on the road. Mm. Because I don't need the law. Because mm. there is a law inside me yeah, that takes you that way. The Spirit of God will lead you that way. So this is the fundamental issue you need to realize. Law has come, then grace came. Once grace came, law is cancelled. But Islam is bringing the law back again. Sharia is basically the picture of the Old Testament law. You cannot have law, grace and law. It is logically not possible. Mm -hmm. That was the most subtle trick of the enemy he brought in Sharia. And Sharia does what the law used to do. What law did with Israel, Sharia does with the entire world. Law was restricted to Israel. It was not for the world. It was not for the Gentile. It was only for Israel. If you do this, stone the adulteress and all that was only for Israel. It was not for the world. But Sharia, what happened? That's what I said. Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. Islam is. Mm. Islam is a proselytizing religion. So you need to handle the subtle way the deception has taken place. Is Christianity is also proselytizing religion, but it's a good news. Mm -hmm. Man does not have to die anymore. You are set free from penalty of sin. And you believe the Holy Spirit and believe in God, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome sin on a day-to-day -day basis. And when you sin, don't panic. You have an advocate before God. Run to God, receive mercy for your sin, and receive grace now you can overcome. And you're moving from overcoming to overcoming to overcoming. You're not becoming perfect. You're becoming blameless. Amen. The difference. That Amen. is what uh, Ephesians 1, 4, and we shall close. Amen. If I'm right, it's one four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that 
we should be holy, holy without blame. blame. I can be blameless. I'm, I'm sorry, Vijay. I, I became blameless. Yeah, I forgive you. Blameless. Mm. Not without sin. Blameless. Because we'll all sin. The old nature is still there. When will we stop sinning? When we are out of this body. Then it's gone. Out of this world, temptation is gone, body is gone, flesh is gone, we'll stop. But we can be blameless. Blameless with man and blameless before God. God. How does we become blameless before God? When we go to God and cry out for mercy and confess the blood of Jesus cleanses us. So we can move from blameless to blameless to blameless. And you know what? As we go, we will realize we are sinning less and less and less. We are winning. So the three stages of salvation. One, the penalty of sin. Second, we are rescued from the power of sin. And finally, from the presence of of sin. sin. No sin in eternity with God. No sin, no Satan, no devil, no flesh, no temptation, no sin. Three stages. That is salvation. So I love these questions today. Unbelievable to believe where we had questions today. We answered from Jewish brethren who are believers and Muslim brethren, ex-Muslim brethren. The middle wall wall has been broken. From we people who are in, from India yeah. who are once upon a time Hindus. <laughs> Only God can do that. You know? Actually look at that. If we look at all of our backgrounds, what were we? We were all Hindus. One day or other centuries back we were Hindus. So Hindus, Jews and Muslims all brought together in Christ. This is the gospel. God bless. This is the original Garvapsi first. Yes, this is Garvapsi original. <laughs> Going back to the one father. Okay, and to my brothers, in Jewish brethren, I want you to read Genesis 15. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. How can you be righteous when you don't have the law? Hmm. Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. That is Genesis 15. He doesn't have the law. He's not circumcised. It's Genesis 17. Years later, mm. he is circumcised. <laughs> no circumcision, no law. He is already considered righteous. By Where does that righteousness come from? Righteousness comes from faith and faith in God alone. What did Abraham believe in? God showed him the stars of the sky and says, Your seed, not seeds, mm. your seed shall be like that. Who was he talking about that sure. seed? He was talking, Abraham saw Jesus in a vision. And Jesus said when he walked on, your father Abraham rejoiced to see me. Abraham had a supernatural vision of Yeshua and he believed and God said you are righteous. Mm. He's the guy who lied about his wife, who will still lie about his wife. Fearful man, that question is also there. (laughs) But he's considered righteous not because he's a perfect man, but he put his faith in Jesus. Mm. God said righteous. Before the law was given, 400 years before law was given, the Abraham is considered righteous simply because he believed in Jesus, Yeshua. That's how he's called the father of faith. He's called the father of faith. Yes, Pastor Vijay, we'll close in prayer. Amen. It's an exciting day when you have all the brethren coming together. Awesome. Yes, you pray. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, Lord. Truly, Lord, the middle wall of separation has been Cut down, Lord. There is no Jew, no Muslim, no Catholic, no Protestant, no Hindu in Christ. We are one body, one head, Christ, one Father, and one Spirit, one faith. Bound together in love. All the enmity, everything is gone away. We know we are one family going to one home. 
God is our Father. And it is only possible because of your Son, Jesus. If He hadn't come and lived that life, fought every day of His life, temptation to live pure, holy, blameless before you. He was just not blameless. He was holy. Mm -hmm. He never sinned. And then to die as that offering, the Passover lamb, and had to die on the cross. Because he himself gave the law to Moses on the mountain and he said, cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. So he couldn't be executed any other way. It was pre-planned and ordained by you that your son would hang on the tree on the cross. And all the curse that came through sin was put upon him. And through him we have salvation. Freely given the gift of salvation. His righteousness given to us. Then you gave us your spirit. But through your spirit and through your word, we may keep growing. We may keep overcoming and, and testifying and witnessing to people. The good news, the gospel of Christ, that no man has to die and go to hell to be separated from God. For God has made a way. Oh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And what Paul told the the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household shall be saved. And I pray today even now, somebody will cry out to Yeshua, Jesus, Isa, Yeshua Masih, and you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven and you will have that peace with God. Peace with God. Oh Lord, touch, touch those who are hearing. And those who have heard and believed, they are waiting. I pray you fill them with your Holy Spirit. That they will, em- they will be empowered to fight sin in their lives and mm-hmm. overcome each day. So the Holy Spirit can lead us and empower us and teach us all things. And give them that hunger and thirst for your word. And the way will be lifted up so they can see Christ in every page speaking to them. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Comfort and heal those who are ill in the hospital, wherever they are. Heal them. Those who have lost loved ones, comfort them. And above all, Lord, by faith we receive your rest. Your rest that you purchased for us on the cross. We have rest in our souls. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Come in the rest of the night. If you tarry to come tonight, you give us another day, we'll come together again to worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen.